The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Hey there, friends. It's good to see all of you. Uh, If you would, please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17. And uh, if you haven't heard yet, we are heading towards having in-person gatherings next week. That's on July 5th. Uh, If you did not get an email from us about that, uh, and you would like to get emails uh, with important info from us, just go to the website, email us through there, and uh, let us know that. We want to make sure you're getting contact uh, on anything we've got going on. We're also going to be putting out a video this week with what to expect and uh, what measures we're taking to mitigate the risk from COVID. Also noteworthy uh, is that this first service, we're not going to have Kid City Discipleship. The service is going to be a, a short celebration service, rejoicing together and thanking God for this new space that uh, he's allowed us to move into. And we want everyone you know, who wants to, to be able to participate in that. So uh, we're looking forward to that. We want to remind everyone, uh, as we're thinking through coming together, that folks have different situations and, and concerns, so it, it's totally fine if what makes the most sense for you and your family right now is to continue to participate through the live stream. want to make sure no one feels any pressure. Everyone has to make a personal risk assessment and uh, do what's best for them, and that's totally fine. Uh, We also want everyone that comes to remember that there are folks who may be immunocompromised or have family members who are. So the systems that we're putting in place is to make sure that everyone is safe and able to gather with us if they want to. Uh, We're going to continue to monitor the situation and and make adjustments as necessary. And, And we just appreciate everyone doing their best to love and serve one another as we navigate this together. Uh, This is going to be the last sermon tonight in our series, What is God Doing? The premise of this series has been to point out the consistent theme throughout the scriptures that our perspective as humans is limited. And that sometimes that can lead us in times of trial or struggle to lose trust in God's power and goodness. And in his promise to always work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But there is freedom in the humble acknowledgement that God's thoughts are higher than ours and his ways are better. He has shown us enough in his word. And if we have eyes to see, he's shown us enough in our lives that he is worthy of our trust. We can put our hope in him and never be disappointed. But in order for that to happen, it's going to require patience because we are often unable to see the purpose in the process that Jesus is taking us through. We know there always is one. And we know he does things in the process that couldn't happen any other way. That he moves and guides and directs and shapes and forms us. He's a good master. God's a good father. So the answer to the question uh, today, you know, for today's sermon, 
when we ask, what is God doing? The answer to that is humbling our othering. And, and that's going to be the working title, humbling our othering. Now, part of what God is doing in his people all the time is humbling our othering. And, and that phrase is going to make more sense as we dig into the scriptures together. Now, I want to give a trigger warning here because, full disclosure, my goal is to offend everyone today. If we really believe that we are imperfect, sinful humans and that God is holy and perfect, then his word should challenge our ways of thinking pretty often, right? Part of my job as an under-shepherd caring for the flock of God is to agitate you towards movement and growth and holiness. So you probably will not like something I say today, and that is okay. The love of God is not some gushy, sentimental emotionalism meant to make you feel warm and fuzzy and affirmed all the time. Part of how the Lord loves us is by being the great physician who skillfully takes a scalpel to our hearts and carves away the cancer of sin which hides there. This is rarely an enjoyable process, but it is good for us. Amen. May we, as we move forward, entrust ourselves into his skillful hands and approach his word with humble and hopeful expectation that we will be both challenged and changed today. Praise God. I'm going to read uh, Luke 18. I hope you found that. Verses 9 through 17. Here we go. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, this sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Praise God for his word. All right, let's start from the bottom, because hopefully it'll help us to posture ourselves for the rest, right? Started from the bottom, now we're here. Here we are. This account of Jesus and the children, it, it seems somewhat disjointed from the parable that he told about the Pharisee and the publican, but they connect in at least one major way. What does Jesus mean when he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all? I mean, that will not enter it at all is a pretty big deal, so we want to ask this question and, and really think through it. The truth is, he probably means a lot of things. 
This is an incredibly deep statement that whole books can be written on. Many would say it means you have to have childlike faith or to trust God without question like a little child trusts their parents. And this is one part of what Jesus is saying. But what may be less obvious is how receiving the kingdom like a child ties to the Pharisee and the publican parable. A publican is a tax collector, basically. One thing about children that often grinds the nerves of their parents is that they ask a lot of questions. Is that true or not? Anybody know a child who can ask 500 questions in a day without breaking a sweat? You ever met one like that? Many children, especially when they're younger. But what I'm proposing to you is if if we thought about it right, we would welcome their questions and we would even learn ourselves from their asking. They ask questions because they know that they don't know the answers. I know that seems very simple, but it's actually very profound and it's something that we adults need to learn. What did Jesus say? If you don't receive the kingdom like one of these little children, you'll not enter it at all. You see, that the Pharisee in the parable assumed he was better than others because he knew what was pleasing to God. So he told God about how right he was. The tax collector, in contrast, came asking for something. Mercy. Because he knew he wasn't right on his own. This parable is, of course, one of the clearest pictures of the gospel that Jesus ever taught. The self-righteous and religious Pharisee thinks he can earn God's approval with his good works. The tax collector knows he has no chance of earning God's approval and knows God's mercy is his only shot. Now this theme and how this is a very plain explaining by Jesus of of how the kingdom of God works and what he came to do and accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection, that theme could be explored much longer. But what I want to do tonight is zero in on on kind of a sub-narrative that we see here in this parable. The Pharisee in his prayer, if you can even call it a prayer, it's interesting that it says he was... Uh, praying to himself. (laughs) Uh, I think that says a lot. But the Pharisee's prayer is focused on how much better he is than others because of how sinful they are. The tax collector, on the other hand, is focused on how he's focused on his own sinfulness and need for God's help. You see the difference there. The tax collector is grieved at his own sin to the point that he is beating his breast in anguish. And as he takes a hard and humble look at himself, it doesn't seem there is much room left for the othering of the Pharisee. This othering where we are hyper aware of the failings of others, it makes us blind to our own sin. When we have a healthy awareness of our own sin, it keeps us from judging other people's struggles harshly. Now, let me just say something real quick. For anyone who may be listening and saying, oh yeah, I like what he's saying, 
Don't, don't, you shouldn't judge other people. I said judge harshly. Okay? The Bible never tells us not to judge. As a matter of fact, that is a literal impossibility. If you think you don't make judgments about other people, you have deceived yourself. It's probably, maybe you were offended by now, but this is probably your first shot right here, your first opportunity. If you think you don't make judgments about other people, you've deceived yourself. That's, it's impossible. You can't do it. The Bible says we should judge, but we should judge the way we want to be judged. On the other hand, the Bible also says we should desire accountability from others. You know, like iron sharpening iron. Does that ring a bell? It's important, man. When the Bible talks about judge others as you want to be judged, a lot of times people will take that and go, oh, okay, well, that just means nobody should judge anybody about anything. Well, wisdom dictates that we should want people around us that are willing to make judgments. We should desire to have people in our lives who love us and love Jesus and will check us in our foolishness. Now, some of you might be saying to that, what I just said, that we should have people in our lives that will love the Lord and, will, and love us and will check us. And you might be saying, you know, yeah, that's right. Amen. You might have waved a hanky or who knows. That, that could have really, you really agree with that. And you may have said that's right or you may have said amen because you believe the idea of what I just said, but let me push it a little farther. You may believe the idea of what I just said. You may have enough scriptural knowledge. You may have been around solid Bible teaching long enough to know that that's the right way to look at judgment. And that we should desire accountability in our lives and real relationships that allow for that. But let me push you on this. Maybe you agree with the idea, but how did it go last time somebody actually challenged you or called you out on something? How did it go? Were you grateful that they loved you enough to do that? Or did you get defensive and start making excuses? Because agreeing with this idea in principle is a lot different than walking it out or receiving it. When God in his graciousness gives us the gift of a friend or someone in our family who loves us enough to check us. We all right? Hey, I told you already. Today is an equal opportunity offense day, okay? So we're going to get everybody a little riled up for Jesus. It's good. It helps us to think, and, you know, man, especially us doing these gatherings digitally, I know there's distractions and it's hard, and, and you know, it happens whether we're gathered physically or doing it this way, where people just kind of get into a rhythm, they're not quite hearing you. So sometimes what God does through his word and through uh, somebody preaching his word is poke you a little bit. So you start engaging with it and thinking about stuff. It's good for us. If we're imperfect and God's perfect, his word is going to challenge us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to poke us. I hope you're rejoicing in that. Amen. Now, part of this childlike approach to the kingdom is knowing you don't know everything. Right? We said it's about childlike faith. That's in there. And, and trust in God like a little child trusts their parents. But, but also, part of what we see and how it ties to the parable why is this story of Jesus with the children and what he says there right after this parable with the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee? It's because part of what Jesus is saying, this childlike approach you need to receive the kingdom, is knowing you don't know everything. Knowing you don't have everything figured out. Knowing you aren't right about everything. Which helps us 
to be humbled. It helps us to quit othering everybody else and grouping them in our minds by how wrong or ignorant we think they are. You see that? Come on, it's real important. This othering that we're talking about, this othering we see the Pharisee doing here, you you understand what I'm saying, right? The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's the othering. That's what I'm talking about. You may not do it that overtly, but we got to talk about thoughts. we got to talk about contemplations of our heart. The deep-seated stuff, the stuff Jesus cares about. Jesus doesn't care if we can just modify our behavior enough that nobody can tell that we're othering others, right? You guys are with me on that. I've, I've, never, I've never stood in a church sanctuary and prayed a prayer like that. Well, I hope not. We're going deeper than that, though, okay? Amen. The othering that we're talking about, it's something we all struggle with. It stems largely from the insecurity we have about being fully known and loved and accepted by God. Because the truth is, none of us believe that totally. We all still and will until eternity struggle with our identity being completely and totally found in Christ. This, in turn, causes us to do what the Pharisee did, to focus on the deficiency we see in others' morals or intelligence or character so that we can feel better about our own. You might be saying to me, well, how can you say that? You you, you don't know me that well. I I don't struggle with that. Okay? So my question would be, so what you're saying is you've reached perfection in this area. What you're telling me is you perfectly understand the intricacies of how our identity is found in Christ and you fully believe what you perfectly know every minute of every day. That's what you're telling me? I don't think so. Friend, what I would ask you to do is come and let's reason together because there is freedom if you'll drop the facade. There's freedom if you'll drop the facade. Look with me at the contrast between the Pharisee and the publican. Like a child, own your inability to know everything and your inability to do, say, and think the right things even when it comes to what you actually do know. Will you own that? That's part of what Jesus is saying here. It's clear in the fact that this story about what he says about the kingdom and children is right after this it, it goes together. It may not be clear at first. You've got to think through it a little bit. But will you own your inability? Like a child. Why does a child ask the questions? Because they know they don't know, friend. Right? Do you know that you don't know? Do you know that sometimes you don't even do what you do know? Amen. I love you. I'm getting cut too. All right? We're all on the great physician's surgery table here. We're in the operating room. Praise God. One beautiful thing the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it frees us from the need to act like we are without failings, frailty, and sin. The gospel shows us that God is well aware of all of our shortcomings and still wants us and loves us. 
The gospel frees us from the fear that we will be rejected because we are struggling. And it keeps us from the exhausting and impossible rat race of trying to prove that we are worthy of love. Oh man, what a load off. The tax collector knew he wasn't worthy, but believed God would mercifully accept him anyways. And when we receive God's love on those terms, it begins to make us more lovely and lovable. Do you see that? Will you rejoice in that? Will you own that like a child? Now, let me say this. Friend, I'm, I'm telling you, we're... <clears throat> This ain't a minor surgery. We're not just removing a mole here. We're cutting, we're cutting down into muscle. We're getting down into this thing. There is a difference between saying, I'm not perfect, as, as lip service because you know it's the right answer, and really living in the humble posture of a child who knows they have lots of blind spots and that they need continual direction and correction. The child knows they need direction. They may not even know they need correction, but like a child, we need to know, sometimes we don't know that we need correction. Did you track with that? Did I even say it right? I don't know. Someone write it down, see if it makes sense. You know what I mean though, right? There's a difference between saying, oh yeah, I know know I'm not perfect. Well, how? (laughs) You got some examples? Because saying that as lip service doesn't mean anything. Jesus said, We'll not enter the kingdom if we don't receive it like little children. And we got to know how much we need him. He said, one went home justified from the prayer meeting at the synagogue. Who was it? It was the tax collector. Why? Because he knew. He knew he didn't have what it took. He knew he didn't know it all. He knew he needed God's mercy. When we embrace this reality, it takes our eyes off of others and it frees us from comparing ourselves to them in order to feel better about ourselves. I know this feels gross, and it feels gross to admit about ourselves that we have this struggle. We'd like to believe we're beyond it. But unless we have, as as I challenge you above, unless we have come to perfectly understand the intricacies of how our identity in Christ, how all of that works, and we believe it completely and fully, and perfectly live that out and walk that out, this will be a struggle for each of us. Well, I I still don't really think, you know, I don't know, I can't, I look at myself, I don't really see this. Well, dear friend, then what I would ask you to do is, is think about what we're saying, and if you can't see it or recognize it in yourself, then in humble prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. To show you maybe some of those hidden thoughts that run in the background. Impulses. This humbling of our othering is our only chance. It's our only chance. If we want to keep from doing the devil's work for him by destroying one another and tearing each other down. And I'm saying that's especially true in the time we're walking through right now. This, if you look at the scriptures, there's, there's a theme throughout. That God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This sermon series is is called What is God Doing? We've been looking at from different angles and perspectives how the difficulty of, of traversing and navigating this broken world 
how God is working in that. And he is always doing something. And what I'm telling you is all the time, he may be doing different things with you in different scenarios. He may be doing different things with us in different scenarios, but a constant that is always there, always, is that God is working to the humbling of his people. Always. He's humbling us in many ways, but he's always working on humbling our othering. Killing this tendency in us to set our eyes on on what we perceive as the deficiencies of others. Of thinking or harboring deep in our hearts thoughts like the Pharisee expressed in his pseudo-prayer. And God is constantly trying to move us to this place of where the tax collector stood. Beating our breasts in anguish, knowing we got one shot, and it's God's mercy and God's power and God's help alone. This is whatever you're going through right now, know this, friend. Whatever the struggle is, part of what God is doing with you in love and out of his love for you is he's humbling you. You're going to fight against him, or you're going to work with him. The othering that we're talking about is like a reflex. It's like a reflex. We often do it without even knowing. And it tends to push us into some really unhealthy and sinful behaviors. It causes us to group up with others who it seems like uh, they they think just like us. We we end up grouping up with them and that, that helps us feel validated. And it also causes us to see those who seem to think differently as either immoral or incapable of critical thinking. It causes us to become very sure of our own opinions and positions and to eventually demonize those who disagree with us. Can't do that, friends. Humbling ourselves and being humbled by God, as we've discussed, helps us to slow that reflex and allow us to look to God and his word for guidance. Instead of finding our answers in the echo chambers of people who agree with us. Most every issue we will ever deal with, but in particular things that we're dealing with now, is more complicated than either side is acknowledging. And friends, for the love of all that is holy... We need to realize that issues are almost always more complicated than the sarcastic and reductionistic meme you found on your favorite website. If you care about actually addressing issues, if you care about moving people closer to one another and closer to the Lord in the unity that King Jesus himself prayed for in John 17, if you care about those things, man, slow down with the reductionistic garbage, the sarcastic stuff, it's just not helpful. Let's think through some current scenarios together to illustrate this principle we're drawing out of Luke 18. First of all, let's talk about some of the stuff surrounding COVID-19, okay? One major flashpoint here tends to be masks, so let's use that. So you've got people uh, who think that you are a selfish simpleton if you don't wear a mask, and you've got people who think you're a gullible sheeple if you do, okay? 
sheeple, best of my understanding, I didn't consult Urban Dictionary, but it's a combination of sheep and people. Sheeple, okay? So there's people who think if you put a mask on, you're, you're gullible, and if you don't, you're selfish, okay? Well, here's, here's another possibility. Maybe someone who isn't wearing one has breathing problems or some kind of trauma that makes that really difficult for them. Or maybe they've done some research and they're concerned about possible negative health effects from wearing them for prolonged periods of time. I'm not getting into the science of that because you can find someone that says yes and find someone that says no. Can we acknowledge that? Go look for your bias to be confirmed and you can do that, okay? So part of what we have to do here in humbling our othering is being slower to do that. But in either one of the scenarios I just laid out, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean they're selfish or stupid. There's other reasons why they may not have a mask on. If you're someone that's assumed everyone you see outside without one is just either selfish or stupid. Okay, for those that think anyone with a mask on is, is a gullible sheep, maybe someone who is wearing a mask has immune system issues. That means they need to be more careful. Or maybe they have someone at home that is struggling with that. Or maybe they know about the risks of, of wearing a mask, but they've decided to, that, that the risk of spreading COVID to others is more important to mitigate. That's, that's the decision they've made. That doesn't mean they're gullible. It doesn't mean they're stupid. Pe- thoughtful people could end up at either place. But oftentimes, we're standing, wherever we're standing, like the Pharisee, just lobbing bombs making assumptions. Not just assumptions about people's actions, but assumptions about people's motives. Well, unless the Holy Spirit has descended upon you like a dove and given you uh, God's perfect vision into people's hearts and declared you uh, the next prophet, that hasn't happened. Uh, You can't do that, man. (laughs) And you also need to watch for how finding what you agree with and grouping up there and then talking about how everyone else just doesn't get it or if everyone could just see it like you, well, then everything would be okay. And this is, this is the othering we see happening here. This is the othering of the Pharisee. This is a self-righteous position. This is not humble. This is not being a peacemaker whom Jesus said are going to be blessed. And you've got to care about that. <laughs> And if we can't get ourselves like little children who are willing to acknowledge we don't know everything we might think we know and we don't even do the stuff we do know, we're not going to enter the kingdom. I'm, I'm talking to everybody, including myself. Either way on that situation, here, here's something to consider. Epidemiologists who know more than anybody about this issue are saying they don't know a lot of what they wish they knew about it. (laughs) Okay? So wherever you've landed, acknowledge that you don't know everything or why people are making the choice that they're making. Let's do this. Wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, whatever you're doing, I mean, if you're doing jumping jacks while you're doing this and and, uh, multitasking, bless you. Whatever you're doing, let's just stop for a moment and let's all say this. It would be really helpful. I don't know everything. Go ahead, say that. No, a bunch of you didn't do it. Let's try one more time. I don't know everything. Go ahead. 
Oh man, didn't that feel good? What a weight to come. Man, to not have to walk into every situation or, or go into a scenario and, and pretend like I do. Man, that's, that's freedom. It's okay. Hallelujah. The next big pressure cooker in this cultural moment are issues around racial inequality and injustice. So I'm going to give you some caricatures of the extremes. I know there's a bunch in the middle here, but we're just talking about a principle and a point here. We're talking about othering and the, the tendency for that needing to be humbled and broken in us so that we can approach the kingdom of God like children. Knowing that we have more questions really than we have answers. There are some folks that think racism is a thing of the past and there's no more work to do. They, they assume that they are not racist and so that's the end of the conversation for them. There are some folks who think the only way to solve problems that are, exist of racial inequality or, or systemic injustice is to completely dismantle the current system and rebuild it. Okay, And people that stand in the two positions I just described, in most cases, in many cases, have little tolerance for one another. And even if they can eke out a civil conversation, uh, which there's just not a lot of opportunities for anyways, almost invariably, there's at least a hidden sense of superiority. You know Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. You, you know that you lie to yourself. Do you know that? You know that's part of why we need the Holy Spirit's help every minute of every day. You got Satan trying to deceive you. You got demons trying to deceive you. You got yourself trying to deceive you. Okay? Our own sinful tendencies, man. This is a war out here. But it's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Evil forces in high places. Okay? So to the first group, the ones that think racism is a thing of the past, they're not racist, why are we talking about this? I would say this. Part of what you have to do is take the time to even understand the terms that people are using. Because when you hear somebody say racist, what you really think they mean is prejudice. And, and you can debate if this distinction matters. I don't have time to go into it and unpack all the you know, sociological ramifications and and, and the language and where it comes from, we, we don't have time for that here, but what I'm saying is you should. Like, read something from someone you disagree with, or listen to it, watch a video. I don't, if you're not a reader, that's okay. But when you hear racist, you think what they mean is prejudice. And, and, and you could debate whether that distinction should exist, you got to at least understand what it is, but when you start arguing your point without even understanding what the other person is saying, you have a recipe for misunderstanding and unrighteous anger increasing in the situation. We can't go at these things like that. When someone talks of systemic injustice, you can't just decide that's not real because you can't see it. We have got to quit being so defensive and learn to listen. Outside of our echo chambers, we have to. Or we will promptly be standing at the front of the sanctuary, thanking God for how stupid we aren't 
like all these other people. Or how enlightened we are unlike all these other people. Can't do it. So the second group. So you think we need to tear down the whole system and rebuild it, right? Well, here's my question to that. Lots of questions, but here's the one I'm going to give you. Who would you put in charge of the rebuild? Because whatever sinners end up in the power chair for the attempt to construct this utopia of equality that you envision is going to bring with them their sinful imperfections. We will not have perfect peace and equality until sin is vanquished for eternity. In the meantime, as believers, we are called to walk in love and to serve our fellow man in whatever time and place and system we find ourselves. Amen. To be fair, I gave you a trigger warning, okay? And you kept watching. We all need to be challenged on this stuff. Because here, some believe that all of life is about personal responsibility and choices, right? This is your typical conservative patriot. Some believe all of life is about personal responsibility and choices. Some believe neither of those matter, personal responsibility and choices, at all. And you are chained to the social environment you're raised in. Personal responsibility and choices are not a factor. It's all about your socialization and how you came up. Okay? That would be typical. Imagine the opposite of your conservative patriot type. Okay? You ready? The Bible says that both of those by themselves are wrong. The Bible, which is part of several weeks ago when, when we took this turn in this series towards addressing these things. Because some of you, I realize some of you are probably uh, annoyed or tired of the fact that we're still talking about this or talking around this or bringing scriptures to bear on this. Uh, but here's the thing. If you're annoyed by that, I'm annoyed by you. Because here's what I want to say to you. You're being inundated constantly with other information flow from sources that are not the supreme authoritative word of God. And you're eating this stuff and it's affecting the way we think about things. It's affecting the way we think about people. And we got a lot of folks looking like this Pharisee, especially online. Okay? It's not okay. And I love you and we need this warning. We need this warning. I need this warning. And we need to know how to apply these principles to the issues of our day in whatever issues may come. Both of those reductionistic, oversimplistic views, the Bible says are wrong. You got to decide where your authority is going to come from. If you got an ideology that runs afoul of what the Bible says, you got to decide which one gets the higher place. I mean, for us here at Love City Church, the scriptures being the divine inspired word of God, it's, there's no question. The Bible's right which means I may need to reframe my thinking or understanding. Amen. Remember, the Bible's going to challenge all of us in the way we think at some point. If you don't expect that, then you have created a God in your own image who's just going to affirm and pat you on the back for everything you've decided to think. A God that never challenges you is not the real God. 
Did you say amen right there? I doubt it, but you should have. Ha <laughs> ha! I'll amen myself. Amen. Those are wrong. Proverbs says two things on the subject, and, and I could we could have I could spend an hour showing you how the Bible in different ways says neither of those two ideas can can be alone. Okay. Proverbs says if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, and it says that it says that elsewhere in the scriptures as well. Proverbs also says that unplowed the unplowed field grows food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Okay? So in the scriptures we see a recognition of personal responsibility and choices, and we also see that there is injustice and there is issues aside from that that can affect people negatively. So what does that bring us to? What it brings us to is the actual truth, which is much more complicated than that oversimplistic binary that we talked about a second ago. Some struggles are the result of poor individual choices. Some struggles are the result of social structures and circumstances that hold people down. But what Satan wants you to do is just pick one of those and then find a bunch of other people that have picked one of those and yell at everybody else that picked the other one and dig your heels in and feel really self-righteous about the choice you've made. And try to find some scriptures or something Jesus said to back you up. It's dead wrong, friends. Can't do it. There are millions of words written on these subjects. Uh, and, and the nuance literally goes so deep you can't see the bottom. But I want to leave you with this. When Paul challenged Peter about not eating with the Gentiles, he didn't run up to Peter and say, Peter, you're being a racist. What Paul said to him is he said, Peter, you are not living in line with the gospel. That's what he said. The gospel has the power to humble our sinful othering. The gospel has the power to put us all in our place and to open our hearts to knowing and growing with others who we would have no reason to otherwise. It's interesting. Peter knew the gospel. Right? I mean, this was, as, as the church was flourishing, Jesus had already, Peter had already preached that Pentecost message, <laughs> and, and likely many, many others. Peter knew the gospel, but he was still struggling with prejudice, which is why we can't just say, oh, just preach the gospel. Peter knew the gospel, he still wasn't eating with the Gentiles. What he needed was a fellow brother to challenge him in love and push him to go beyond knowing the gospel into living out its implications. And friends, this is a lifelong process for all of us. Why are we scared to admit that? Why is anybody? Forever, as long as we're breathing, and as long as we're on this side of eternity, we're going to be continually learning what it means and growing in our ability to live in light of the gospel. We're going to be continually for the rest of our life having to put to death this tendency of othering of forgetting who we are in Christ and why it is we have value and worth, that it's all about what he's done, what he has decided, what he has made possible, that his love makes us lovely. We're going to constantly struggle with that because nothing else in life works like that. Everything else is performance-based. You have value by what you do. Jesus says you have value because you're mine. And I hope, I hope that 
is pouring oil and wine into your heart. I hope that that means something to you. My encouragement for us today is to, is to keep the Pharisee and the tax collector in mind. Keep this parable from Jesus and, and the, the rest of what he says about children and the kingdom. Keep them in mind as we think and discuss the issues of our day and of the days ahead. I'm challenging all of you to get with someone who disagrees with you and talk through these things. Talk through the things that we don't even know that have hit us yet. The next attempt to divide us. The next attempt to have us cowering in fear from whatever it is out there and and from one another. This is the work of the enemy, friends. But God is using it. He's using it. If we will listen and we will receive what he's doing in the midst of this, part of what he's doing is he's humbling our othering. He's revealing it. Because here's the thing. Without big, difficult conflict points like this, we can hide beneath a veneer of being peacemakers. Well, how do you know if you're a peacemaker if there's never any trouble? Peacemakers only have to do their thing when there's some conflict. Well, friends, we've got it right now. And we're finding out who cares about the unity that King Jesus prayed for. Who cares about walking in love. Who cares about preferring one another. Outdoing one another and showing honor. That's what Romans says. When's the last time you went into a... Next time you think about posting a meme, that, that, that fire meme you found, run it through the grid of this scripture real quick. Christ, because of what he has done for us, calls us to outdo one another in showing honor. That might change some of the inner contemplations of our mind and heart, some of the things we say out of our mouth, and some of the things we stick on the internet. It should. I'm challenging you to get with someone who disagrees with you and talk through these things. If you don't know anybody who disagrees with you well enough to have a civil and loving conversation with them, then that's part of the problem. And so... Fixing that, getting to know some people, having real relationship with people. Think back to the Paul and Peter example. Peter knew the gospel, but still had this prejudice. What did it take? It took someone he had relationship with. It took someone who loved him enough and loved Jesus enough to say, hey man, you're not living in line with the gospel. You gotta find you gotta find those relationships. Fixing the fact that you don't have those relationships will be a big step in putting to death your othering instinct. This Pharisee like othering. Glad I'm not like them other people. Come on, friends. There's help for us here. Praise God. I hope you'll take those challenges seriously. What did I say? I said, I'm asking us to keep the Pharisee and the tax collector in mind as we navigate the cultural issues that we're dealing with as Christ followers. And I'm challenging you to get with someone who disagrees, who stands on, in a different place on these issues, and to have real conversations, to listen Amen. I hope you will.
May we all remember that the kingdom belongs to those who come as children in humble acknowledgement that we don't have everything figured out and that each one of us is in desperate need of God's mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Luke 18. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that while you were walking this earth, you told this parable. It is so illuminating for us. It, it just runs absolutely contrary to the way that we think, the way that we get pulled into thinking. Thank you that it shows so clearly the beauty of your gospel, that that we are sinners, that none of us are perfect, and that because of that we need your mercy. Thank you that you not only have shown us our need. You've not only given us the bad news of our sinfulness, but you've also made salvation possible. That Jesus, you came and lived the life we haven't, and then you died the death we should have in our place for our sins. Thank you that you rose from the grave just like you said you would. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us. Help us to understand that this posture, we, this difference we see between the Pharisee and the tax collector, this is not just for coming to you and, and for being justified. It's a posture we have to stay in for the rest of our lives. Thank you that you made that clear when you went on to say that we have to come and receive your kingdom like children. That We've got to come into this kingdom like kids, knowing that we don't know everything, willing to ask questions and listen. Help us quit pretending, Lord Jesus, that we know it all, that we've got it all figured out. For those of us that have deceived ourselves, in that, God, please come and, and shatter those deceptions. Bring us to a place of humility and vulnerability where we know we need to rest in your shadow. <laughs> we need to be near you. We can't do this without you. We need you, Jesus. Please help us all, Lord, to care about being peacemakers. Help us, Lord, to take seriously your command to outdo one another in showing honor. Help us to remember that your kingdom is inside out and upside down of what we observe everywhere else in the world. Lord Jesus, we need your help for this. We know it's not something that is going to happen one time and then we're done with it, but it's a process that for the rest of our lives, we're going to be learning and listening, repenting, growing, learning to be more and more introspective. Thank you that you're in the process with us, that you're committed to our sanctification. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.